Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. Uh, Steam Cleaners is a lovely show in which I and my co-host play two different games every week, and we talk about them on this show that you're listening to right now. And of course, when I refer to my co-host, I am referring to the great Walter C80's Fetchuk. Walter, how you doing, buddy? I am doing fairly well, and I'm very thankful that this podcast only happens every two weeks, because if I had to play a new game every single week, um, you guys would have to pay me a lot more money so I could quit my day job, which, I mean, if anybody wants to give me, like, I don't know, I'm just going to pull a number out of my ass, like $70,000 a year to play one video game a week and do a podcast about it, I'm down. You guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. My business email's in there. Send me an email. I would love to not do my job. Absolutely. I I am happy to co-sign on that um, and co-sign on you specifically, Walter. Anyone who wants to get their podcast uh, empire going, I think a strong start um, for sure. Um, I have been just, called uh, the Bill Simmons of esports before, so I've also been called the Miz of esports. I don't know if that's a plus or a minus, but you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been called a fatter, less interesting Travis Gafford. So, you know, I think comparatively you're doing fine. Chase, um, I told you you need to stop <laughs> listening to the voices inside your head. They are destructive. <laughs> they are not helpful. And anyone who would attempt to slur you in that way is no friend of mine. I mean, that's very fair. I would definitely consider the YouTube comment section not a friend of either of us or anyone. Um, before we get into the show, I have to ask because, uh, we're recording this, uh, around the peak of the NFL free agency, and we rarely have a time to talk about sports and things on the, uh, film podcast, Final Cut, that we always record right before we, t- uh, do this one. But I have to ask you, how are you feeling about your bills, uh, and the offseason you've had? No comment. Like, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. Um, you know, when there's a player on your t- team, Taiwan Jones, who who did a, an interview recently, and I forget exactly who it was with, but he basically said, like, yeah, like, we know something's wrong, but we don't know what it is. Like, we have no idea why we lost that game against the Bengals. It's a little concerning. Um, it's a little, it's a little bit concerning. But then when you look on the other side of things, you go, I have Josh Allen, who is football's version of the Terminator. So Please, God, he's got to win a Super Bowl at some point, right? This isn't going to be a Dan Marino or a Philip Rivers situation, right? Like, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna win a Super Bowl, right? Please. And then there's talk of like, oh, maybe we'll trade for DeAndre Hopkins, and we can still laugh at the Jets because somehow Aaron Rodgers has not been traded for yet. So, <laughs> like, you know, um, it's great, uh. I'm I'm paying attention to basketball right now because if I had to pay attention to the minutia of the NFL offseason with the level of care and passion that I pay attention to the regular season, I might actually die before I hit 32. I mean, that's fair. It it is an exercise in futility, right? You can make all these changes that look great on paper. Um, And rooting for a team that was terrible last year, there are a lot of things that seem great on paper, Uh, except for the fact, of course, that all of this is relying on Desmond Ritter being good, which, like, 
I have no idea if that's true. I, I don't think anyone knows if that's true. Um, so seeing, you know, people like Derek Carr come into the division and immediately make someone a front runner uh, says a lot about kind of where my world is at. I'm afraid of Derek Carr. You're waiting to see how much the Jets have to give up I, I got, for Aaron Rodgers. These are not the same. I have one question for you. Uh-huh. Why doesn't Atlanta want Lamar Jackson? Uh, because he is a running quarterback that is an injury risk and Arthur Blank is scarred from Michael Vick because we had the best running quarterback the league has ever seen who got injured at least once every two years and then went away for a while. So I don't think he wants to do that again. Um, and I don't want to pay him the amount of money we would need to, to, to bring him here. I, I just don't have confidence that he can be the guy in the long run at the salary that he is asking for and for it to be fully guaranteed. I think that's the biggest difference. If Lamar Jackson was asking for the same amount of money with some amount of wiggle room, I think the Falcons would be all over it, but we're not going to give guaranteed money to a running quarterback with a history of injuries when the entire like 2001 to 2007 was defined by the ups and downs of doing that. And Vic was younger than Lamar Jackson is during that time. You, you remember who your quarterback was after Vic, right? You guys were okay with Joey Harrington? No, we skipped that year. Uh, we definitely, there was not a year in which we went from Joey Harrington to the, the corpse of Byron Leftwich to Rob Johnson. That definitely didn't happen. And I'm not still scarred with nightmares to this day about that season. So um, that's good. Because otherwise that would have been really rough. Well, it's nice um, nice to know that we both have nightmares about Rob Johnson. <laughs> very true, very true. But you know what? This is not a Rob Johnson podcast. This is a gaming podcast. And I would love to hear, Walter, what have you been playing? So I've been playing the Rob Johnson experience. It's a VR <laughs> game where basically you play as Rob Johnson in 1999 and you get to punch Doug Flutie repeatedly in the face. Uh, no. So, Chase, we are kind of in a little bit of a like holding pattern. We're trying to like figure out what we're going to be doing because there is a game on the horizon that um that i have not played but you're playing right now that's gonna take up like an entire episode of the podcast and we've been trying mm -hmm. to figure out like about how far that game is because i have some longer games that when we're gonna skip me quote unquote for an episode i'm gonna slide one of those in there so i have like a full month basically to try and play and beat one of these games because i don't have enough time in my life to like jam an 80 hour game into two weeks that's fine. I'm not complaining. I get to get to do this with you and talk about games that I'm playing. So I've been trying to pick and choose some of these like smaller games. And three weeks ago, I sent you a text message because I'd been hemming and hawing and I didn't know what I was going to play. And the universe put something in front of me via Twitter, via Steam's Twitter page across my feed that told me the next game that I was going to play. And then I didn't play that game. I played the game that I played last week, Moon Hunters, because I ran out of time to actually play the game that I played for today. But I saw across my Twitter feed, Ace Combat 7 was on sale. And you know, I went, 
Well, I've mentioned Ace Combat a few times. I, you know, I played that road. I, I played, you know, that Star Wars Squadrons game and, and reminisced about enjoying playing Ace Combat 6. Like, this just seems like the universe telling me I should fucking play Ace Combat 7. Like, this is great. This is fantastic. It, the universe has made a decision for me. So I bought it and then I didn't play it for last week's episode because I didn't have enough time to, you know, put enough hours into it uh, to talk about it. And then, you know, I started playing the game for this week's episode. And I got to mission five, right? And I'm going to say something that could be taken out of context, put onto a soundboard for us later on, and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I don't like things that are hard. Mm. I, I really, like I've said, I'm never going to play, like, Dark Souls or Bloodborne or, like, any of that kind of crap. Like, I don't like hard. I don't like difficult things. I don't like hard games. You know, I, I want easy. I'm I'm too old to, like mash my head into a wall for fun right like i want something easy so i set the difficulty on easy and i'm like all right cool i'm gonna play ace combat seven let's fucking go right i got to mission five and i had just prior to mission five i had bought an ac 130 thunderbolt right because you can buy different planes we'll get to that in a little bit and i bought one of these an ac 130 thunderbolt it's like a a, a ground you know, it's anti-ground units. And, and mission five is basically you're attacking a base, right? And you're supposed to destroy, you know, a certain amount of objects to give you a certain score that's above a threshold. And you're supposed to survive for 15 minutes, essentially. And then, like, the mission ends, right? So I'm like, cool. So I got, I got my AC-130 Thunderbolt. I'm all excited. I'm like, cool. I got the perfect plane, perfect situation. Let's fucking go. And I last for about 10 minutes and I crash into a mountain and I die. And I go like, all right, cool, whatever. Let's go again. And then I last for about 10 minutes. I hit the score that I need to. I got to last five more minutes and I crash into a mountain and I die. And I go like, all right, well, that's, you know, that's enough for today. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to relax. You know, I'm getting frustrated. No big deal. So then I come back the next day and I log, log into the same mission. Four more times the next day, I try to do this mission. And I'm like, I'm getting to like three minutes left on the countdown, two minutes left on the countdown. I'm being impatient. I crash into a mountain and I die and I say, fuck this. All right, fuck it, right? Now, let me tell you something. I feel like each one of these missions, right? Each one of these times that I try to do this, right? I said earlier, the mission's only 15 minutes long. To me, how engaged I was, how in the zone I was, it felt like the mission took hours, so after that second day of doing it, I said, fuck it. You know, it's too difficult. I'm pissed off at it. I don't want to play it anymore. Fuck it. Whatever. Put it off to the side. I played some League with Amanda, with our friend Amanda. I played some, you know, like other, I played some Madden, whatever. And then last night, yesterday, I was like, all right, got to get ready to podcast on Thursday. You know, the day that we're recording. Let me, um, let me see exactly how long I played Ace Combat 7, right? 3.2 hours. And I go, wait, what? How did I only play that for 3.2 hours? It felt like forever. I tried this mission like 10 times. And I go like, I can't only put three hours into this game and have an opinion, right? I, I can't do that. So I hop back in last night after my partner goes to bed. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to beat this mission if it fucking kills me. And I go through it. And I've got... 55 seconds left on the clock and I crash into a mountain and I die and I go, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, I got to tell you, man, it seems like you just avoided the mountain. Like, it seems like there was one obstacle and it was not 
all of the people firing at you. Um, you would be just, correct, Chase. It would be the fucking mountains, right? And here's the yeah. thing. I, I, I'm playing on a difficulty setting where I can actually crash into things like once or twice and it won't kill me. But for some reason, this mission towards the end, if I crash into something, I die and the mission's over and I got to redo it. So I go, okay. All right. Fucking full on focus here. Full on try hard mode, right? Full on try hard mode. So I go and I'm playing the mission. And I get down, I get like way above the points that I need. I've gone back to like, re, you know, repair my plane and refuel and all this jazz. I'm fucking crushing it, right? And I get down and there's like 55 seconds left. And you know what I did? I zoomed straight up into the fucking sky as far away from the ground as fucking possible. <laughs> <laughs> so I beat the mission, right? I beat the fucking mission. I move on. And then the next two hours, I beat like six more missions. <laughs> fantastic uh i you know i i love that story because it perfectly captures both like what my impression of this series has been and why i've never played it uh because i i find this kind of like uh plane simulator like these kind of combat missions to be intrinsically difficult even when you're playing on the easy level because it requires you to have a, a sort of coordination and control over your vehicle that I am historically terrible at. Um, famously, I struggle with a lot of racing games because I just refuse to use the brake unless I'm absolutely forced to do so. Because why would you, right? You just want to go fast. Why would I do the thing that makes me slower if I could do the thing that makes me go faster? Um, and I also was going to make a joke that anytime I think about the Ace Combat games, I think about like Top Gun. And then I saw that there is DLC content from Top Gun Maverick that came out. So I guess the game agrees. Um, but I, so I, I just want to like get an idea here. Cause it seems like flight simulators are a genre that you've enjoyed in the past. This is not the first time you've done the ACE combat rodeo. So what is it about this game that is different from other flight simulators you've played beyond the fact that there was one particular mountain that kept telling you to go fuck yourself. What else makes this game stand out? I See, here's the thing. Like, my experience with flight simulators are Ace Combat 6, Microsoft Flight Simulator, the new one, uh, Star Wars Squadrons, and Ace Combat 7. That's it. That's all the experience I have with it. And, and part of it is that I own Ace Combat 6 for my 360, and it was one of, like, the few violent video games that I could own, right? Because at its core, like, a flight simulator combat game like this, it's a shooter. It's like an FPS for the most, you know, for, for like, the blandest terms, it's an FPS, right? You're just controlling a vehicle. Uh, it's like Twisted Metal. Twisted Metal is an FPS, right? Kind of. You can argue that. And that was, like, the one kind of, like, violent video game we were allowed to own. And at the time, it was enough of a challenge for my, like, you know, 13, 14-year-old head um, that, like, I felt accomplishment doing it. And my brother liked it a lot, and we'd do split-screen dogfighting with each other and, like, all these things. So it's another one of those things where, like, um, um, like kill all humans, uh, destroy all humans, and, like, some of these other games where I'm, like, Fable, let me go back into the past, right? Let me go back into things that have good memories for me. What is something that I can play? And, like, I'm going to be very honest, the story is a very, 
I don't want to say JRPG, but a very, like, Japanese-style story of, like, Western forces, right? It, it is very stylized uh, of what you expect a, a Japanese writing staff to sort of portray Western-style combat, Western-style politics, how these you know, types of countries and things interact with each other. And I will tell you that the problem that I had with this game that was making me want to, that was making me willing to give it up wasn't the difficulty of that one mission because it was all self-inflicted. I was being a fucking dumbass. And like, if I just was a bit more patient, I could have beaten the mission six tries earlier, right? I could have just been like, cool, I got the points I needed. I could have just flown up into the clouds, been super safe and ran out the timer, right? I didn't want to do that. I wanted to destroy everything because I had this really cool, you know, cool plane that I bought that was fucking perfect for this moment, perfect for this mission. The problem I actually had with this game is where I was in the plot. Now, again, we're talking only five missions in. We're talking like three hours into the game. Chase, at this point... A war has broken out between the Ocean Federation and the Kingdom of Eurasia on the Countin of Yuja, which the Ocean Federation is an America analogy here, right? They're the Americans. They're the global peacekeepers, essentially. And Yuja is this, like, war... I don't want to say war-torn, but there was a disaster that happened that, like, devastated the continent outside of this one little piece that is... Uh, Yerja, um, that is kind of like an analogy for a, a, a monarchical government. I don't want to say Germany because it really isn't Germany, but it is this very like militaristic monarchical government um, that was a monarchy, then was an elected government, then they re-elected a monarch, and now they're like a pure monarchy. And it centralizes on this issue of the... Um, Yurzians uh, are upset that the Ozians have kind of like taken over the continent or are in charge of everything and they're like well fuck you like why do you get to do that so they've like taken over all of the drones they figured out how to like capture all the these drones and control them and all this right so you as a character you're playing trigger you're the you're the protagonist and you are an Ozian fighter and after mission two you um you accidentally or you're framed for shooting down the former president of Osea and you're put into a penal colony that is then doctored up to look like it's an air force base so that it'll attract the Eurusians attention so they'll attack you and they like put you in planes and have you fly up in the air to like distract them and make them feel like it's an actual air force base um and then they start using you as prisoner labor to then fight the Eurusians. and um i don't like any of that <laughs> i mean it's funny because when you say oceans right like my first instinct was oceana right then that's exactly what we did to australia like penal colonies um being forced to to do labor by uh, the originally the British Empire um, until it finally kind of became its own thing. So I'm not surprised to see it go that way. Uh, I'm also not surprised to hear that Bandai Namco made kind of the very Japanese flavored version of a Western style game. Uh, that sure does seem like the thing they would do. 
is it i i guess like from a tonal perspective right like war games typically very serious some of what you're describing feels like it 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 very much would be right you don't you know laugh at the penal colony very often uh historically um but it also seems kind of ridiculous in what it's trying to satirize so like how does the tone fit in with the combat like I guess, I guess the, the experience, how, how it all comes together, is probably going to matter a lot more for people who are listening to this than does it have all of the cool planes, um, which I imagine any flight simulator would kind of focus on. Trust me, there's plenty of cool planes for you to unlock. You get a currency when you complete missions, and, and it's, it's, not a, it's not a microtransaction currency. It's like an in-game currency thing you can't buy. It just is, you know, it's like getting points for a mission, and then you can spend those points to unlock, you know, parts for the planes and upgrades to your weapons, like all these things, right? So there's tons of fucking cool planes, right? Um, I just unlocked unlocked a MiG thirty one, which is like really exciting for me. Um, let me let me describe it first before I actually answer your question. So a couple of missions later, right from from that mission five that I was stuck on, um, the penal colony. You guys have, have risen the ranks and have like proven yourselves to the Ozean military apparatus, and we're like, cool, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of this military. It's a prison. I don't want to say it's a colony in terms of like it's another country. It's a prison that was turned into this air force base. But now they have drafted you into the actual military, and most everyone is going to the front. But you and one of your other um, uh, squad mates are going to um, escort the commander of the base, who's been a right royal prick this entire time. Right? It's like you're fucking prisoners. You're only here to make me look good. Like I don't care if you lie about your body counts on on like the field of battle because it just makes me look better. You're escorting him to his next base, and I will tell you the first thing that I did when we took off, and that because you could see his plane, I shot that thing out of the fucking sky and failed the mission. Um, because like that's what you would do if you were like that's what you would actually do is you'd shoot the fucker out of the sky, you'd fly away and be like done with this shit. You'd probably go join the the opposing forces, right? You'd defect. If that's how you were fucking treated. Um, which is why I feel like I haven't gotten very far into the story because at this point I'm only about seven hours into the game and it's about a 20 hour campaign experience. Um, and I'm not connected to the story at all. Um, for me, the story is purely a method to then get me to the missions right i am very much playing this game as a like i don't give a shit about the story the story is not interesting to me i want the combat i want the missions i want the the variety that we've had there's been some missions where we have to be very stealthy and we're you know flying in these valleys between these mountains and we have to stay under cloud cover because there's satellite tracking that's defending this area and we have to like pop out of the clouds so we can take down these radar sites and things like that i've already talked about mission five where it's just basically bombing of a base there have been a couple of missions where you've actually have to engage in some dog fighting um one with these drones that the opponents are are you know dealing with so they're very weak in terms of like you can kill them very easily but they're very fast very maneuverable so you really have to like learn how to lead them with your missiles or lead them with your machine gun or or duke in and out with them and then there's been a couple of moments where we've actually had to do some serious top gun style dog fighting with an opponent which 
I really fucking enjoyed. Um, the story doesn't matter to me. I don't really fucking care. It could be the United States and Germany. It could be Ocean and Eurasia. It could be Team A and Team B. I really don't give a rat's ass at this point because I'm playing it for the combat, which even on the, e like, it's not the easiest, easiest setting, but the easy setting that I'm playing on is challenging enough for me that I'm having fun with it. The dogfighting has been really really fun and utilizing the different planes and figuring out exactly which loadouts i prefer and i like using i've actually felt like i've gotten better at the game which has given me this kind of sense of accomplishment that i feel like i don't get from some other games yeah i mean that is like with with a game like that you want to have that mastery curve you want to feel like you are improving and that can be enough right not every game needs to be plot driven um though i do think that uh that disconnect might be enough to keep me personally uh, away just because i am such a plot driven player in general um but i guess well it sounds like uh you would recommend this game and plan on continuing to play it in the background here is that is that a fair assessment um yes and like, personally, I am going to keep playing it because I enjoy this style of gameplay. If And I don't want to be, like, dismissive of the story and be like, it's bad story. It's just, it's not connecting with me, mainly because the thought of using prisoner soldiers is just disgusting. And, like, I don't understand my character's motivation. Like, the second they'd let me into a plane, I'd be like, all right, see you guys, I'm out of here. Like, fuck off, you can shoot me out of the sky, like... I'm going to judge that my piloting skills are better than what you're going to send after me. Um, so, like, that really is disconnected for me personally. Uh, but, like, yeah, if you want to play a combat sim that's, that you know, a flight combat sim, like, this is kind of the gold standard uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. And, like, I, I think as far as most people are concerned, unless you're doing something that's, like, a super realistic, I'm not saying Marvel Flight Simulator, but I'm sure there's some, like, ultra-realistic marvel flight simulator style of sims that you can play i just don't know of them but if you want like an arcade style flight sim like this is fantastic and you know at some point i would probably buy a flight stick and try and get you know much better at this game again if i had a ton of fucking free time which unfortunately i don't uh but chase i know all your free time is kind of caught up in the game that we're sort of snowballing our way towards but i know you've been trying your best you know an hour here an hour there little pieces in between trying to play some other games so what card game do you have on offering for us this week well walter as far as card games go i could talk about marvel snap basically every episode and it would be probably more honest in terms of what i'm actually playing on a day-to-day -day basis but this whole podcast is built around the idea that i talk about different games so I'm going to talk about a game that I haven't played as much recently, but might be one of my favorite games of all time, and one that I really want to give more attention to. And that would be Renowned Explorers International Society. This is one of the best roguelikes I have ever played, and definitely one of the roguelikes that sold me on the potential of the genre as a whole. Uh, I believe this game initially came out what, like 20, 
2015. It was 2015. It's been a while, and it's still aged so well. Um, and part of that is because this is a developer, Abby Games, who has done a really good job of creating regular content for the game years after its release. But a lot of it is also that it really understands what it is that makes roguelikes work. First, you need a reason to be invested, a goal that is very clearly set and is something that uh, the average person can easily get behind. And in this one, it's about becoming the most famous person that you can, the, the most renowned explorer, if you will. You have a rival that you are challenged to beat who tries to swoop in and thwart your efforts at every turn, giving you an easy person to hate, uh, a score that you need to match and exceed in order to take him down and become the most famous explorer in the world. And you have this cast of characters that is really fun. Um, you always take a, uh, a group of three people with you, but you always have four different classes that you can choose from. So no one adventuring party is going to be able to do everything. You're going to have limits on what skills that your people have to offer. You're going to have limits on how you can approach different encounters based on the people that you pick. And depending on how you choose to utilize those resources and utilize the skill sets of the characters that you have, you can either have a really fantastic, thrilling adventure going through all of these unique locations, each of which have plenty of treasure to find, challenges to encounter, resources to secure, or uh, you will find yourself absolutely lost, resolve depleted, and uh, forced to admit to the superiority of uh, the rival that challenges you every step of the way. And I, I think that that's a perfect hook, right? Like, who doesn't love the kind of classic uh, Indiana Jones-style adventure, right? Going from place to place, collecting treasure, trying to uncover as much as you can about the world around you, or, depending on how you want to play it, beating up a bunch of bad guys that get in your way in order to try to... Um, I guess, make your adventure as much adventure as you can. And I just think that's such a fun concept to build around and is perfect for a roguelike because there's just enough different ways that you can play the game, different interactions that you can run into to keep it fresh every single run. See, now Chase, would you be surprised if I told you I have about seven hours of this game <laughs> uh, on record on my Steam? I actually think there are some runs of me playing it on the Rough Drafts YouTube channel, <laughs> if that's still around someplace. <laughs> I, there sure are, and absolutely deserves that. It, when was the last time you played it? Stalling for time, stalling for time. <laughs> uh, uh, no. The general answer would have been general sufficient. General answer, uh, May 12th, 2017. That is a lot more specific than I expected a general <laughs> answer to be. But 
like fair, right? It's a game that's been out for a while now. But I believe like the most recent update came out in 2020, the Emperor's Challenge DLC that had an entirely new way to play. And that's one of the things that like I feel like for Rogue likes to continue to be fun, to continue to have the mileage, they need to give you goals that you can continue to strive towards. And this game gives you a lot of them to work towards. I guess I like I can rant about this game a lot. What are what are the things that I guess I, I suppose I should should I talk about like the uh battle system, the the class system? Well, here's the All thing. All of this is fantastic. Here here's the thing. So you say it's the great it's your favorite game and it's the greatest roguelike you've ever played. Like that is some very high praise coming from someone that frankly there, there's two different types of well, three different types of games you play you play card games you play dating simulators and you play roguelikes so mm-hmm. what puts it at such a such a high pedestal for you so there are a few things i i think the first is the way that you get to build your party right you have scientists you have scouts you have fighters and you have speakers and the fact that you can only pick three people uh, means that you're always going to be out on something. If you don't have a scientist, you're not going to be able to learn as much about the natural world and rack up research. You're going to be down the kind of engineering or archaeologist skills that allow you to navigate these kinds of scientific challenges. Of course, if you don't have a scout, then that means you're going to lose out on the ability to think quickly or survive uh, building up you know, some roguelike skills, for instance, to be able to sneak your way through. If you don't have a fighter, you're going to have a hard time dealing physical damage when you have situations in which um, the the creatures you run into aren't going to take uh, words for an answer. And speakers, of course, are great at diplomacy and, and tactics and, and convincing people to do what you need. And so you're always going to be missing one part of that. So you always have to think about how you can make up for that. Uh, But you can also go all in and be really good at one thing. And the game says yes to that too. And it's not just in the roles that you play, but the way that you resolve encounters. There's kind of this mood system where you can do, you can be friendly, you can be devious, you can be aggressive. Um, And depending on the combination of things that you're running into, there's kind of a, a, a game state that uh, empowers certain abilities or detracts from others. Um, if you are devious against someone who is trying to be friendly, the game will punish you for that because you're being mean to someone who's trying to be nice. And that's a terrible way to try to convince nice people to be on your side. But of course, if someone's trying to be aggressive, then tricking them with your deviousness a much better strategy. Trying to befriend someone that is trying to kill you likely isn't going to work well. But you always have those options, right? You always have your kind of physical stats to go for these aggressive moves or your speech stats in order to try to find these openings to either through friendliness or deviousness convince people to do what you want. And as you build up going through the campaign, you're going to unlock more ways to get resources based on the way you want to resolve encounters. 
You can make a build in which you're trying to befriend everyone you can, and you can go to regions in which people are uh, particularly devious, and you can take advantage of the uh, sk skill set that um, that friendly uh, skill set has. Or you can try to go based on the skill set of, of each uh, individual kind of uh, class, right? You can pick challenges based on, um, you know, if you have enough scientists, you go for the place that has nature challenges, regardless of the mood that these uh, average combatants are in. Um, you can go for a certain type of resource if you have units that particularly benefit from those things. However you solve the problems in front of you, you're not wrong. You're just going to challenge yourself in different ways. And it's really cool that the game gives you all of these opportunities. And it even gives you opportunities to determine your own difficulty, right? You will always unlock the next level of difficulty in between challenges, but you don't have to pick a difficulty three challenge after you built a difficulty two one. You can pick a different difficulty two expedition if you want to. You won't get as many points for it, and if you're trying to win, that's going to be a hard way to go. But you can do it. You can absolutely just decide to play it safe if you don't think you have the skill set necessary to make the difficulty five run at the very end. And you just risk not being able to get enough points to bring your team to where it needs to be to come out on top. And I love that. And I love... Every single expansion that they've had, every DLC uh, pack that I've purchased has just added even more strategy to it, either by adding characters that have their own unique way of approaching things or adding these campfire stories that allow you to customize your run while giving some background details on the kinds of people that you are taking on these adventures together in a way that the game it's almost impossible to go back and think about what the game was before these updates came in. And that kind of versatility, that ability to give you so many tools that you can look at, so many ways of approaching the same puzzles, and so much freedom to build it up exactly the way that you want? I mean, what more do you want from a roguelike? So what is your favorite way to play? I mean, I tend to go for the devious speech types um, because I think it's really fun to be able to have high speech power. That gives you some flexibility in terms of how you want to approach certain problems. You might be able to opt out of combat entirely, for instance, if you have a good enough diplomat. I always think of uh, Charles Templeton, um, who is this like very kind of pretentious diplomat who, who's trying really hard to impress the queen. Um, and be seen as worthy of praise back home, um, who has some really good defensive numbers, is very well-rounded overall, but loves to throw out this kind of devious trickery in order to, um, to, to kind of skew things in his favor. Um, you pair him up with some other people who have this kind of aggressive, devious skill set, and suddenly you have people who can battle their way out of whatever situation they're in and convince everybody else. And I find that that gives a good mix of, of challenges. Um, I love characters like Charles who have two different skill sets rather than being good at like 
quite good at one thing to start. He starts with a level in Diplomat and a level in Survivalist. And sure, you can go for someone like Kwame, who is a great rhetorical speaker, very fun for a friendly route, um, and starts with two Diplomat points, which means he's immediately going to be really good at any Diplomat-type challenge that is thrown your way. These challenges, by the way, are, are random roles that are the likelihood of success is based on the stats that you have and the perks that you have picked up by specializing in these different jobs. You can always go wider on if you'd like as you kind of go back to base in between sessions and get new skills for yourself. But, you know, being able to branch out and cover multiple different options, being able to throw a whole bunch of resources into making one character really good at a single thing and throwing all of your kind of focus in expeditions that play on that, I I, I think that's where I have the most fun. And I I will say, I give the game a lot of credit because the way that these expeditions are set up means that you rarely get the perfect outcome you're looking for. I'll, I'll just give you a, a great example. There's a, a mission for Expedition 2 that is a kind of pirate mission. You're trying to uncover some pirate treasure. You've got some monkeys and some smugglers on the island, um, and so being able to fight aggressively is helpful. But there are a lot of nature challenges there and a lot of research to uncover. And all of the people who are really good at research are not typically your aggressive types, right? They tend to be more um, talkers. They tend to have these kind of skill sets that take advantage of the sciences and in terms of like finding non-combative ways to solve these problems. So you have to decide when you take that mission on, are you taking it because you believe that the aggressive approach is going to allow you to navigate these combat scenarios more effectively, allow you to take on these special locations, these additional challenges that give you stronger rewards if you're able to pull it off? Or are you going to try to pick the thing that matches the challenges that you have, that play to your skill set that you've spent time refining, even if that comes at the cost of finding yourself in a difficult situation in combat because your attitude, the way you solve problems, does not click with the way that this mission wants you to solve it. I just think that's really fun. And I appreciate any of the kind of characters that give you enough flexibility that you can kind of customize as you go along, react to what comes your way, and take advantage of it. Though, I will say, as someone who has spent 60 hours in this game, the answer to what my favorite is, is all of them. I have won with every single character as the lead <laughs> at one point in time. Of because it's fantastic. Of course you have. So I guess that, that replayability that you bring up, because you've mentioned this before with with card games or with roguelikes is that sometimes you get bogged down in the, the optimal way to play things. And that once you figure that out, sometimes that isn't very fun. So I'm guessing there is enough variety. There's enough, like it's spread out across all these different ways of playing that you have not gotten sucked into that sort of 
optimal gameplay loop that usually turns you off of something. Absolutely. And and I give a lot of credit to the DLC for this. Um, I, I will say that if you want to get the most out of this game, I do highly recommend the DLC. Uh, the More to Explore DLC is critical, in my opinion, to this game because it gives you the campfire mechanic, which allows you to get those extra story bits, which, of course, as a story-driven guy, I'm always itching for. And the ability to like unlock new cards at the end of each run gives you something to keep playing for even after you've gotten these victories. But the real winner here is the Emperor's Challenge, which is a DLC that not only gives you four new characters, but gives you an entirely new way to play the game. Instead of just trying to get the most fame that you can by being the best scientist or the best diplomat or, or whatever it is you choose to specialize in and become the best at, you have to complete challenges. Challenges that the game gives you and rewards you points for that usually require you to do things in a suboptimal way. You have to make adjustments on the fly. You have to do things differently in order to make it work. And it means that characters that otherwise might struggle, might not be as strong in other situations, end up becoming really powerful. For example, I love Ivan. Ivan Dashkov is your Russian... Uh, you know, big broody guy. He's recommended for aggressive or devious builds uh, and is a big athlete. But his campfire event that I got from the More to Explore DLC is a vow of peace in which he trades a lot of his physical power for speech power. And he becomes more of trying to manipulate people through friendliness and uh, through his deviousness than through his physical attributes, despite the fact that he's a big, beefy guy. And if you respect that, you can get a lot of rewards for it down the line. But you have to take the best strength that you have as you build his build initially and throw it away to do so. And an average run, probably not worth it. You're probably better just running that aggressive build getting the most out of his physical skill set and punching people into submission because he's really good at that. But in an Emperor's Challenge run, the ability to be versatile like that, to completely change how he plays based on the challenges that the Emperor gives you, brilliant. That flexibility is imperative towards being able to come out on top and get all of the ceramic points that you need in order to end up finishing at the top of the leaderboard. And of course, you know, every character gets uh, a little bit of a different thing for being the leader. Every character has a slightly different way of approaching things when they're just like a, a typical crew member um, and, and how you encounter all of these different adventures, a lot of which they release as free DLC, though I believe there are a couple that are locked to those DLC packages that I'm talking, I, I've mentioned before, um, they all add something. There's always more to explore. Um, and I know <laughs> that that's a cheesy way to put it, but like, that's what you want from a game like this, right? Like you want the game to keep having something for you to dig back into. And it does. You, you scratched my itch. Like, 
man, I, again, this is like, wow, Walter, I wish I had more time to like do the things I love to do, like play video games. Cause just like listening to you talk about it and just, you know, looking at the screenshots and the videos that keep playing, like, man, it would be great to like go back and replay this game. Cause I only put, you know, six hours into it and those, you know, VODs I'm sure are still on YouTube. Like, damn, I, it would, ah, fuck. Now I want to play this game. What? Ah, Chase, why do you do this to me? <laughs> I mean, look, turn-based strategy is perfect for roguelikes too, right? Like, I'm not always great at, like, first-person shooters, for instance, right? A Risk of Rain, uh, you know, either from a third-person shooter perspective, is never going to work out great for me. Rogue Legacy, getting all those platformers to go just right, I'm going to struggle with it. I'll probably enjoy it all the same. I certainly figured out how to enjoy Hades and get the most out of that game. And we've talked about Cult of the Lamb on this podcast before, a game that I enjoyed despite uh, some kind of asterisks that I have to add to that recommendation. But a turn-based strategy game like this, it's just so satisfying because it rewards you for thinking ahead and for preparing yourself for every possible opportunity. And it rewards you even for just simple things like navigating the map correctly, right? Figuring out how to, you know, find the challenges that work for your characters and lean into their strengths and avoid the things that they're terrible at and take on additional challenges that might give you additional resources so you can explore more things and get more level ups because otherwise some of these bosses are terrifying. I, I think it's... Is it in the, yeah, the second adventure, the Hungarian fort, where you end up having to fight a vampire, even as early as the second level, if you're not ready for that, um, you're going to be taken out. Um, uh, or sorry, that's that's the fourth, the Globus uh, Crucifer in the fourth mission is in Transylvania. The second one is the the witches, which are also a problem in the early game if you haven't prepared. But I'm thinking about the difficulty for uh, where you have to fight the uh, literal vampire guy and it is so easy to be doing great up until that point to have this kind of consistency in your rotation but if you're not pushing yourself if you're not taking risks and potentially risking your resolve to get every resource that you can the count is going to destroy you because he has an aoe effect that can stun you and keep you stuck in an emotion. And if you try to take him out of his friendly encounter, um, you have the ability to just get decimated immediately. You have to prepare. You have to think ahead. You have to make every step count. And because it's a turn-based game, you have a lot of time to think about it, whether it's in the overworld whether it's in between missions when you're going around and getting these different people to either boost your skills or come with you to give you additional rewards at the end of each mission based on how you resolve conflicts. You have to be clever and you have to be able to adapt. And it does all of those things. I just, I, I can't stress enough how impressed I am by this abby games title um and and it's weird because i don't think you could describe any of their other games that way right like godhood is much more of like 
your traditional um, simulation god game type, right? It's not... It, I, I've heard decent things about it, but it doesn't have that same kind of replayability. And, and Reus is like an indie kind of strategy game that I've always kind of had in the back pocket as something I should try at some point. But I've never really had the interest because so much of it is more of like, you know, being able to shape a world in a way that I can't connect with. I can connect with going on an adventure to become the most badass explorer possible. And it's, it's just a perfect fit. Just tone, pitch perfect, start to finish. And I love finding excuses to come back to this game. So, so you you highly recommend it, is what you're saying. Absolutely, I recommend it. Look, I understand it's a 2015 game, and the fact that you have to pay 20 bucks for a 2015 game is going to make some people go, oh, but do I really need it right now? Yes, yes you do. And you need to pay the $15 for the DLC as well, because for $35, even if you're paying at full price, this game is fantastic. It is everything you want a roguelike to be. The art style is something that has aged really well. The mechanics are still very tight, and all of the DLC only made it better as the game continued on. And by the way, because it's been out for a while, you're going to find it on sale. You're going to find a definitive edition bundle that gives you a significant discount on it. You're going to find ways to get the most out of it. And you're, there's just so much. There's so much here and so many ways to tackle it. And I I can't recommend it enough. I fucking love this game. And I am thankful that the people that I am now waiting on, more than I am waiting on myself for the engaging game that I am currently still playing, I am thankful for the opportunity to talk about a game that I enjoy as much as I enjoy Renowned Explorers International Society. And I'm thankful for this podcast which turned out to be quite a lot of fun. Um, Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Yeah, you guys, you know, as always, find me at C80s underscore LOL. Um, once again, hey, give me like $70,000 a year. All I'll do is play video games and we'll do podcasts about it. It'll be fucking great. I'll have all the time on my hands to play these games that I played, you know, five, six years ago and can play them some more. Um, as always, <laughs> you guys can follow the podcast at rough drafts pod uh you can follow along on your favorite podcast listening uh apparatus uh whether it's spotify apple music whatever um and there's separate feeds if you only like the video game stuff you only have to listen to the video game stuff on the steam cleaner speed if you only like the movies i don't know why you're listening to this podcast but thanks for coming on over you can find your stuff on the final cut feed or if you like a little bit of everything stay on the rough drafts podcast feed absolutely yeah we'll have uh two new games to talk about in two weeks so be sure to come back for that and let us know what you think uh, about the ace combat games if you give renowned explorers a shot uh please let me know because i love hearing stories about the game especially those first couple runs, because if you play on classic mode like I do, it sure will sneak up on you. But until then, goodbye, Internet.